you're in trial or closing a deal, you might think you're too busy to exercise. But have you thought about squeezing in 10-minute workouts for a few times a day? Well, first of all, you know, when someone says, I never have time, then the question always is, you know, never. I'll say, well, you know, even if you have 10 minutes, 10 minutes is better than nothing. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and when we return, I'll ask my guests how it works. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. I'm here with two Olympic-level exercise physiologists who coach executives on health and fitness. Sharon McDonald-Larson was a researcher with the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports and Science Division, and James Herrera coached the BMX cyclist at the 2012 Summer Olympics. What I want to ask first, and I'll take this, Sharon, if you can take it first. Um, so when you meet with executives, what are the most common reasons and what do you tell them when they say, oh, well, I can't exercise because I'm too busy? What's some wonderful advice for them to find a way to fit it in? Well, first of all, you know, when someone says, I never have time, then the question always is, you know, never. Um, is is that really the case that you never have time? Um and, and then I'll probably follow that up with saying something like, um, you know, something's always better than nothing. And I think sometimes we have in our, in our heads that if we don't have an hour to exercise, that it's not worth doing anything. And so, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, you know, even if you have 10 minutes, 10 minutes is better than nothing. And if you do that consistently, you know, consistency is really the key when it comes to exercise over time. So, um you know, 10 minutes a day for, for a week is, is better, certainly adds up. And, and, if, and if you have less time, then also doing something a little bit higher intensity um, can sort of compensate a little bit for less time. I, mean, um, I guess the main issue is, is finding a way to incorporate the fitness and healthy in your lifestyle that works for you so that you stick yeah. with it. And that's, yeah. that's the ultimate key, right? Yeah, exactly. And... Um, so it, you know, whether it's, you know, moving more during the day, just getting up, making it, making a point to get up every hour and, and move and, and, and take more stairs and so on. And, um, as well as trying to fit something, you know, whether it's 20 minutes or 15 minutes of some sort of continuous, uh, aerobic activity, um, on a daily basis. But really over time, it's the consistency that adds up. And what do you guys see when someone does decide to make some changes in exercise and they get absolute joy from it? I mean, I would imagine what, do you get to see that a fair amount in your line of work? Uh, yeah, quite a bit, actually. Um, we get James, you coach people too, right? Not just professional athletes, but executive types as well? I do. I coach a lot of executives, um, work with different companies on their wellness programs. Um, but we do get... A lot of emails from clients, uh, people that we've met that have come through either the Center for Creative Leadership or independent clients that I've worked with that have had tremendous amounts of success. Um, and it's always really gratifying uh, to me even more so than the elite athletes that I work with because they make major life changes. They, they get down to weights that were possibly less than when they were in high school. They feel great about themselves. They have more energy, uh, much more clear-headed, and it really translates into their their careers and into their home lives as well. I think, you know, if they can figure out how to make something, you know, exercise a priority and, and healthy living a priority in a lifestyle, 
you know, the benefits have to outweigh the cons. And so when, when the, you know, people start to experience the benefits of more energy and, and better sleep and, and just feeling better, um, that, that's such a, a huge sort of motivator to, uh, to, to, to stay with it and stick with it. Have you guys ever advised someone who, uh, say, a litigator during trial, what they can do during that actual in-trial period to make life a little bit less painful for them in terms of taking care of themselves? Um, I have worked with litigators during trials. Um, I've actually got a a really good uh, friend that lives here in town that, that is in that line of work, and so I've coached him for probably the last 10 years. Um, and we try to do simple things just to keep him active, uh, whether it be a little bit of walking or standing more than sitting during the day. Um, he does do some of the things that Sharon mentioned uh, in increasing the intensity of his workouts because he just doesn't have the time to devote uh, during a trial. So he may only do something for 10 or 15 minutes, but he'll, he'll really raise the intensity of that activity so he gets the biggest bang for the buck. Can you give me an example? Like, would that be running on the treadmill at six instead of five or something, or how? When it comes to cardiovascular work, yeah, I mean, somebody will do a, a short initial warm-up of a couple of minutes and then maybe do some really quick 30-second high-intensity bursts of speed and then go back, uh, slow down for a recovery phase, and then do it again repeatedly for maybe a set of, you know, six or eight 30-second efforts. So the, the entire workout might take 10 or 12 minutes. Um, sometimes I'll have them do just core conditioning routines or body weight exercises like push-ups and pull-ups and things that they'll put together in a short circuit. Uh, but all in all, the, the workouts will take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. So even when you're going through a trial or you've got busy phases in your life, you can always get something done. Okay. And what about with eating during trial? I mean, it's really easy to get takeout three times a day, but you're not going to feel very good. Um, I, you know, I, I typically condition people to institute good practices all of the time so that when chaos strikes and you are under high stress or, you know, great time demands on your schedule – you've got a lot of healthy practices that you've been implementing day in and day out, so it doesn't become much different. Um, they're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables as snacks, uh, things like nuts and seeds. Um, I have them do uh, dried fruit at times, uh, peanut butter and jelly on, on a really good whole grain bread um, as a meal or as a snack, uh, fruit smoothies are a really great way to get a lot of fruits and vegetables in your diet. So I have them prep these things well in advance. So I guess that when they're under the gun and under huge time constraints, they can continue to munch on healthy things throughout the day. Okay. And I'm curious, are you seeing people who perhaps have been eating poorly for a long time and just starting exercising, Are they have, do they generally have success with your advice, or is this something where you have to have maybe a little bit better level of fitness to take it to the level you're talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, sometimes I think that, you know, people people are afraid of making big changes, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes it isn't until you make pretty drastic tra- changes that you actually start to really feel the benefits. Um, so, yeah, you can, you know, and, and, and this, can, this is, a, you know, it's always a process, but, you know, I, I think that, 
when when you look at the data on health and fitness and and you know the data is so compelling in terms of what it can do for your brain what it can do for your cognitive function what it can do for just how you feel generally what it can do for your energy and when people sort of buy into that and commit to it um then they actually find that a it's it's perhaps easier than they think than they would have expected um but it really sort of takes an upfront commitment to say you know i really i really don't want to eat this you know i i don't want to eat um processed food or meat or you know heavy heavy foods um and to sort of you know make make a clean break from that stuff so that a you lose the addiction to those foods and then b you learn to enjoy the healthy foods as well um, well and Sarah, i was reading something you wrote about getting i think you called it getting de-addicted to certain foods and you yeah. you noted that you were a big cheese fan at one point and it was hard to stop so can you talk about that a bit and tell us how you did it Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, looking at the data on 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 particularly on eating dairy and some of the negative health outcomes associated with that, it was very very sort of compelling for me. And so, I made that commitment. And the first the first step in that commitment was not to buy it. So, you you tend to eat what you buy, so I didn't I just didn't bring it home. And then when it wasn't at home, then it wasn't you know, I it just wasn't there to eat. Um And then the second step was just sort of learning when I went out to eat whether I got a burrito, whether I got a pizza to just order it without cheese. And and so that, you know, that took a, a little bit um to sort of learn how to navigate the the whole eating eating out thing. Um Did you say you'd get a pizza without cheese? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it crust or thick? <laughs> either, either. All right. <laughs> yeah, it, lots of veggies, and you know, it, it's actually ah. surprising, surprising how good it can taste. Sure, with even the veggies. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. I, I think also, I, it, you know, it's February now, so people are hopefully still, if they had a New Year's resolution to get in better shape, they're still with it. But it seems to me that sometimes folks who start an exercise plan. and say they fall off the wagon, you know, and have a double cheeseburger or or whatever. Do you think it's also it's important if you want to be fit that to remember it's okay you're going to make some mistakes sometimes. And that doesn't mean you stop, you just try again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's we're never going to be perfect. Um e- even the people that are the most diligent and the most athletic, uh, I would say they're never perfect 100% of the time. Uh you're going to have a weak moment. you're going to go out to eat and there may not be something, you know, great on the menu that's going to fit within your your particular dietary strategy. But the way I I train people is that if they can make good choices, you know, 90% of the time, then that 10% can go and come. You know, they'll fluctuate a little bit and fall off the wagon here and there and they may, you know, consider to treat themselves uh or have a weak moment. But if you're making good choices 90% of the time, you're you're going to be pretty darn healthy. Hmm. Okay. Um also do you think I'm wondering that you mentioned that sometimes when you work with people they get to be a smaller size than they were in high school which is that's what they want. I mean that's that's wonderful, but I'm wondering if for some people another thing that's discouraging is maybe they're not they can't run as fast as they did in high school when they get started or you know, maybe they're or perhaps maybe they're not going to get if they're a woman or a man I guess to so this image of what society tells us is beauty. Do you see that get in the way of people's fitness as well as they just get discouraged too easy? Uh sure it happens. I mean, I think it's 
it possibly is most difficult for people that were athletic in high school or college uh, because they have this, this sense of how great they used to be and what a workout should consist of. You know, it might have been two or three hours when they were in high school and college, and now they really only have 30 or 45 minutes or an hour available. Uh, so the key to that in an adult working life is, is redefining what your reality is today and figuring out what kind of successes you can achieve. You know, if an hour is all you have, then, you know, we start putting that into play and finding the best routine to get the biggest bang for the buck there. Uh, and then just coming up with <clears throat> good performance markers for exercise and for good healthy eating that they can attain on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, I, I would ditto that. I think sometimes the hardest people that we sort of have to work with are the ex-athletes. And, um, you know, particularly if you come from team sports as well, and people are sort of that, – that was their thing, where they worked out with a team or played soccer or basketball, and now all of a sudden the reality is, you know that's that's not so practical in 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 busy busy executive lives. And, and when we look at our executive data, we find that most most CEOs tend to work out alone, and that's because likely because it's most time efficient. And so, sort of changing that that thinking of of okay, my exercise used to be with my team. Now it has to be sort of on the treadmill, or it's 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 not it's not quite as fun and exciting as it used to be. Um, but that's kind of what I have to shift to in order to, to stay healthy. Do you have thoughts on how to make it fun and exciting or how to get you to come back? Or is it something, maybe the better way is just like, look, I have to do this five or six times a week because it makes me feel better, and it is what it is. Yeah, sometimes. Um, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually have worked with people. I had a woman who said that every time she gets on the elliptical, she just wants to, to break it. She, she just gets depressed. and. But she makes herself do it every day uh, because she knows that she needs to do it, and she does feel better when she's done. But, um, yeah, I mean, you sort of have to figure out strategies to, uh, to make it less onerous, as less, <laughs> less onerous as you can, whether it's music or whether it's videos. Um, I, you know, when I'm on the stationary bike, I watch, you know, bike racing. That works for me. My husband, when he runs on the treadmill, he plays Xbox, you know. So um, you got to You got to you got to figure out what what sort of keeps you uh, keeps you occupied if if you have to do sort of stationary indoor types of workouts. Well, for me and some of the clients that I work with, <clears throat> they'll they'll do something possibly on the weekend uh, with a friend or with their spouse, uh, with their kids, and so the you know waking up at dark thirty and getting on the treadmill or the elliptical or lifting weights is just a tool so that they can be in better shape to go out and do those things on the weekends. Uh, they might sign up for a 5K or a 10K and have a carrot dangling out there that encourages them or scares them to exercise because they don't want to show up on the start line and, and be so unfit that it's an unpleasant experience. So little things like that sort of help to motivate when you have to do the, the dark 30 workouts, you know, when you're out there by yourself and just watching the TV on the treadmill. Sharon, I'm curious with your research, do lawyers tend to be in better or worse shape compared to executives as a whole? Um, yeah, James and I were talking about that question, and I, I, I wouldn't say they're worse. Um, as a whole, you know, professionals 
it's such a mixed bag when it comes to um, executives and professionals. Some are in really good shape, I, you know, some are in worse shape. But I, I would I would probably put healthcare professionals at the bottom as being in the worst shape, which is kind of unfortunate. But um, yeah, I think I think they all have pretty similar challenges in terms of time and and stress. Okay. Have you noticed to drill down a bit? Have you noticed a difference like between corporate lawyers and litigators? I think litigators, the ones that I've dealt with, probably have uh, a slightly greater stress level. Um, but I, I think that the benefits of exercise help them so much just to cope with the stress and to sleep better and to deal with the things that they're dealing with day in and day out. So they, they the ones that I've worked with versus people that, that sit in an office a little bit more and, and do less of the litigation, um, they tend to be a little more adherent to the workouts that we prescribe, and they, they tend to eat a little bit better. Okay. What, what's your advice on if someone wants a personal trainer or a coach for their exercise routine? How do you find someone who works for you, who works well with you, rather? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a great strategy, first of all. I think, you know, having someone that you're accountable to, somebody that can guide the workout, somebody that, you know, you just sort of, you don't have to think about what to do, um, but you, you're right. You have to have some find someone that you work well with. Um, personally, my you know I would say look for someone who has some sort of background, has some you know years of experience, uh, someone who can provide references. Uh, so yeah, basically someone who's a little bit older and then probably has some sort of degree and certification that sounds like you know sports science or um, sports medicine or something like that. Um, but yeah, I would interview them just as you would any other employee, and sort of um, and and get some references as well. Yeah, I used to work in that field a number of years ago, and um, two of the biggest organizations that certify trainers, at least in the U.S., uh, that are the most credible are the National Strength and Conditioning Association and the American College of Sports Medicine. So typically, if you get a trainer from either one that's certified from either one of those two places, you're ensuring that they're at least going to have a college degree. Um, they've had to do some study in sports science, so they know a little bit more about exercise physiology, biomechanics. Um, and like Sharon mentioned, I, I tend to look for a slightly older trainer, someone in their possibly their 30s, 40s, even 50s that's been doing it for a long time. Uh, that has a good client history and has dealt with busy professionals because they'll have a lot more strategies on how to implement, you know, good workouts into a, a busy executive life than, than someone that's 20 years old and, you know, kind of fresh out of high school or, or possibly in college doing it as a side job. Okay. And if you haven't – oh, go ahead. Oh, I, yeah, I was just going to sort of differentiate between personal trainer and coach. Um, Go ahead. So a personal trainer is someone typically that is more hands-on that you would actually meet at the gym, and they would put you through a workout. Um, so there's obviously benefits associated with that in terms of, you know, techniques um, and variety. A coach probably is someone that you could work with um, that is not necessarily close to home, um, that, you know, you email every day, every week and just say, hey, here's, here's what I've done, and the coach will then – and that's that's a lot what James does is just write workouts for the next three weeks. Here's your workouts for the next three weeks, and then you would report back what you've done or haven't done. So a slight, slight difference between the two. 
if someone hasn't exercised for a few years, what are a few initial things they should do so that they don't hurt themselves and it's a relatively pleasant experience? Uh, well, you're always going to start slowly and sort of progressively adapt to increasing exercise loads. So, you know, and if we were going to have someone start off uh, with a program that wanted to ultimately start running, I'd probably have them spend some time walking a fair bit, time and distances, and then increasing that to a, a jog or mixing some jogging and walking together so that they could get their, their leg musculature sort of sensitized to the, the demands of running, um, and then progressively increase the, the volume of exercise as well as the intensity. So it, it's always about sort of weaning into it a little bit more slowly so you're not overdoing it and then hurting yourself. I think that's where the ex-athletes run into problems, is they probably try to do too much too soon too quickly. They're not patient enough with the process. It takes about six to eight weeks to sort of see endurance adaptations really start to kick in. So, um, yeah, so we just we have to be err on the side of progressive overload, I guess. Okay. And for people who maybe have been out of shape and get in better shape and stick with it, is there, a, like, one common behavior trait or action that you see? Uh, they, they've possibly decided to make it a priority in their lives. I mean, that's the big thing for anybody that's going to, I think, that's going to adhere to a program. I mean, you've got to prioritize your health, physical fitness, and nutritional excellence just like you would prioritize your career or your family. Um, and it really has to be a big thing in your life in order to be successful with it long term. So the clients that I deal with that, you know, they buy in and they stick to it, they've, they've just made it a priority and recognize the benefits. And once you get the ball rolling, it's almost impossible to stop. And then you wonder how you ever lived any other way. Um, you know, I've been, I've been relatively active for long enough now that I just couldn't possibly fathom my life any other way. Uh, same thing with, with good nutrition. I just couldn't possibly think about eating something that I would consider unhealthy. It just doesn't even cross my mind at this point. Okay. I, that's everything I have for you guys today. And I want to thank you so much. This has been a really enjoyable conversation for me. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.